Hi everyone, welcome to Wildly Becoming. I'm your host, Rachel Bain. Our stories hold the power to help others overcome. Join us each week to hear incredible real life stories from our guests. We are wildly becoming who God created us to be. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello everyone, thanks for joining back in the Wildly Becoming podcast. Life with Jesus can be wild and fun. Jill is here in the studio today, our amazing co-host. We are so fortunate to have Jeremy from Rise FM back here sharing the rest of his story today. Welcome back, Jeremy. Hey, it's good to be here. Thank you, Jeremy. Jeremy, what happened that day? My dad was moving out of the house. Okay. He had his brother and two of his best friends there to help move all of his stuff out of the house. Once everything got out, my dad decided that he was going to go back into the house for one last thing. The last thing was a matchstick boat that my dad made when he was in the service. The story goes, he initially was going to give it to my grandmother, but then mom and he got together and ended up giving it to my mom. This matchbook boat was about as elaborate as anything you could imagine. It was a little clipper type ship. He used old sheets for sails and thread to tie this all together with. And it was an incredible piece of art. And it sat in this box up above his chair and we weren't allowed anywhere near it. It was like the golden calf in, you know, (laughs) churches have their golden calf. You're not allowed to touch this. You're not allowed to, that's what this was. Well, there was contention over this boat. Why the boat? I don't think it was the boat itself. But dad went in. He says, I'm going back in for the boat. And his friend, Gary, Gary told me later, he says, when your dad said that, I heard a voice that said, follow him in. So Gary followed my dad into the house to find my dad and brother fighting over a gun in the living room of the house I grew up in. There was some struggle, a pop, and dad fell you know, off to the side, started bleeding. Gary ran outside, told everybody that was outside, Tom's been shot, Tom's been shot. My brother proceeded to, with gun in hand, walk out the back door and smoke a cigarette. Uncle Tim went in and dad just at that point left. Uncle Tim told me later, he said, I was there with your dad, with his last moments here on earth. And he says, I saw the angels come down and carry his spirit away. And I think, wow, what a moment. Was your mother in the house? She was in the house the whole time. Did the police arrive on the scene? Yeah, they, they arrived on the scene. Um, my brother finished his cigarette, walked back in the house, set the gun on an end table, was real cooperative, got handcuffed, and then taken away. That doesn't sound like someone that's mentally stable. I don't know what his mental stability was like. I do know that because of the enabling, because of all of the hatred that my mom had for my dad, that that all translated onto my brother. Right. That was all shoved onto my brother because mom needed the backup. Mom needed to have her buddy. And if she didn't have that, then nobody would believe her. 
So what happens next? Because it's so hard for me to wrap my head around this dynamic one that you've even lost your father unexpectedly, tragically, and at the hands of your own brother. The whole idea of it was very surreal. I'm sure. I I can't even fathom. I needed to go tell my wife that my father was gone. Oh my goodness. So because wife my wife didn't even know yet. Yeah, my wife is a pharmacist and she was working till late. My uncle drove me into her work and on the way there I looked at him and I said, This doesn't happen to me. This doesn't happen to my family. It doesn't happen to me. It doesn't happen to people that I know. This happens in the inner city. This happens on the news. This happens in other places. But this kind of stuff doesn't happen to me. Right. Mm -hmm. I was having a real tough time really believing it was true because I'm hours after finding out that my dad's gone. So we go in to the pharmacy and we waved my wife over and went down an aisle way and he proceeded to tell her what was going on. And of course, she flipped out as well, because we had been married for 10 years at that point. She lost her father-in-law that she had a relationship with. Long story short, because of the investigation and everything, I did not go home right away. We were supposed to have a concert for our third anniversary of the radio station that Friday, two days after my dad dies. And because my dad's body was going to be looked at and investigated and all that. There wasn't any reason for me to go home, so I ended up staying. The artist we had was Danny Goki, and if you know Danny's story, he lost his first wife. After the concert, Danny brought my wife and I back behind the stage and sat in a room, and he ministered to us for I don't know how long, 45 minutes or so is all I can figure. Wow, that's incredible. But he talked to us And to this day, every time I see him, he asks me how I'm doing, what's going on. Yeah. And it's amazing that, you know, a guy like him who's been through tragedy would take time out of his personal schedule to meet with me. That's what Jesus would do. Exactly. So I ended up going back home on Sunday. My mom had let me know that the prison was open to visitors, that I could visit my brother. And so I went and visited my brother. You did. I did. Now, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about, a lot of it I know in hindsight. I didn't know a lot of that at the time. Yeah. But I'm talking a lot in the, the past tense now. Right. So I went into the prison. Going in, I just, I told myself, I was like, I'm not doing all that stupid stuff that they do on TV. You know how they go in, they put their hand up on the glass and... You know, they're all, you know, emotional and this and that. And I wasn't going to do any of that. Well, your emotions were probably all over the place. Yeah. Because how, what do you even have to say to your brother that just killed your father? And you love your brother, but you're devastated and you're like mortified and you still can't believe this doesn't happen to me. Right. And of course, it's a four hour trip from here to there. So for four hours, I'm thinking about what I'm going to tell my brother. That's a long time. It's a very long time. (laughs) And I could tell that they did not tell him who was coming in to see him because my mother had been in every day. And I'm assuming that he thought it was my mother because he was just, you know, head down, walked in casually. And when he looked up and saw it was me, 
he ran as fast as he could with chains on his feet and hands to the glass and apologize. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. That is not the reaction I thought that you were going to say. I'm not sure what I thought, but I'm very... I thought you were going to say ran the other way. (laughs) I'm not to you, but away from you. Well, and it shocked me because I wasn't, like you, I wasn't sure what to expect. Right. I just know that they didn't tell him because of his reaction. Well, and he knew the relationship between you and your father. Yes, he did. He knew at that point what he had done and what he had taken away from me. Wow. I did put my hand on the glass, just like I told you I wasn't going to, because I wasn't, but I did. We sat down, and I told him that he needed to have more Jesus in his life. And I said, I'm, I'm going to talk to you now, and you don't have anywhere to go. So I'm going to do this. And I shared Jesus with him like I had never done before. I was very blunt. And I said, I don't know what's going to happen from this point on. You're going to go to prison. You're going to be here in jail. I know that you understand what just happened, but you don't have to live the same life that you have, even though you've done what you've just done. You can be free in Jesus. You can have a relationship with Jesus. And I laid it right out there. That was only I did. God empowering you to be able to minister in that yeah. situation, in that capacity, after suffering great loss like you did. Did your brother ask you to forgive him that day? I don't remember. I don't know if that came up. It's possible. Did he respond to what you had to say about giving his life to Jesus? I talked to him about that up to the point of saying the prayer. And then once I got through what I felt like I needed to say, and then, you know, we did talk a little bit. Now, granted, there's a lot of things that I don't know yet about what happened at this point in time. It was brand new. Where does your mom come into play? When did you finally talk to your mom? I talked to her soon thereafter because I ended up going over to the house. She had some church people come over and cut the carpet out of the house. So there was a big circle of carpet missing where my dad had bled out. That had to be so difficult to go to the home. It was tough to be there. Yeah. Just to be in that atmosphere. Other family was around. My mom's sister, I believe, was there for a long time. During that period, I was staying with my in-laws. But during that visit, I was in the house a lot. And again, mom's sister was there and some of her family was there. We were just, you know, just trying to you know, find my dad's keys to the car. There are so many things when you lose someone. It's like, oh, it's, yeah, it's yeah. just so overwhelming because it all happens fast, too. Like you're saying, you have to find all the things and then you have to organize and do all the things as far as services. And so I'm certain your head was probably spinning. What happens next, I think, is the thing that really changed my mindset about my whole relationship with my family. My wife and I, when we leave the house, we turn the radio on for the dogs to leave some noise on for them so they're not feeling alone. And I turn the radio on, and I hear a doctor 
on this station talking about another lady that she knows. And this lady that she's talking about, I'm thinking, sounds just like my mother. This lady on the radio is describing my mother and all the things and all the reactions that I've been getting from her, and I didn't understand why. And then the doctor says something about her being narcissistic. Oh, my goodness. Earlier, I talked about my dad telling me all this stuff. Well, mom this, mom that. I I get it, dad. I just don't see it. I don't hear it. It's not that I don't believe you. All of a sudden, all of that made sense, and I understood the narcissism that ran through my family that I didn't recognize It's hard that. to recognize it when you're in the middle of it, when, or if you've right. never heard of it. That's your parent, because uh, you grow up thinking that's the normal way to be. My dad was mom's object of narcissism, so dad saw everything. But on the outside, the rest of us really didn't know. I didn't see that side of her, and I didn't recognize that side of her until I realized that that's what was going on. Once that happened and I became aware of what was happening, I decided at that point that I was not going to play my mother's games. I decided that we're not doing this. Obviously, there was a trial the defense, my mom and my brothers, their defense was that my dad was abusive. That was their defense. So they made up a lie. Yes. Made up a lie and had Gary, my dad's friend, not follow him into the house. If Gary had not heard that voice, I believe my mother and brother would literally have gotten away with murder. Wow. So did Gary have to testify what he saw? Yes. That was God yes. telling him to go in that house. Oh, wow. Absolutely. There is no doubt about it. So they There's, lied. Yeah. See, my mom didn't work. My brother didn't work. 38 years old. No responsibilities around the house. Your dad if, was the breadwinner. Right. If I saw my brother do anything, if he took his dishes and put them on the counter next to the sink after he got done, that was the extent of it. Otherwise, he was playing video games, or on his guitar. That was it. Wow. So you learn about narcissism. You realize that your mother is a narcissist. Your mother and your brother Jeff now lie in court during a trial about your father being abusive. So now not only are they lying, you're thinking about your father who's not even here to defend himself. What were you thinking at that point when you heard that? Hmm. You don't want me to go back there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm you know? I would imagine yeah. rage. Yeah. Just pure yeah. rage. Well, and I was also called to testify at my brother's trial. How and did this, you do that? And what did you say? All I could do was answer the questions to the best of my knowledge. Right. Yeah. And that's what I did. A lot of the questions had to do with when you were growing up in the home did this happen or did that happen? My dad, he was really good at unbuckling his belt with one hand, flipping it through all the loops, grabbing the other end of it and spanking us with his belt when it was necessary. Now, to my recollection and my memory, the way it is, I only remember him doing that very few times. Mm -hmm. And at my mother's request, based on 
things that had happened. Right. Okay. That was the that was the extreme punishment. Okay. That was the most we ever got. And like I said, I don't remember it happening very often when we were little. So they were looking for loopholes. Yes. In fact, when I was, I think, 13, I wrote my dad a, what I would call a hate letter because we visited some family and I felt like he was constantly watching me and I didn't like that and I hate you and what so on What teenager so forth. hasn't wanted <laughs> right. to write their parents? I know, <laughs> right, right? So my mother asked me if I have it. She came right out and asked me, do you have that letter? And I was like, no, and if I did, why would I give it to you? So she's looking she, for evidence to save her son because she's enabled him yes. all these years. And how did the trial end? Guilty? Yes. Guilty on all charges. He got 30 years to life, I believe. I'm not sure about parole at this moment, whether that's a possibility or not. But he also got three years for the gun charge. So it's basically 33 years. And then parole, whenever that comes up. I had to testify and I get out of testifying and I'm like, oh, I'm so glad this is done. And then the prosecutor goes, so we want you to not go into the courtroom. We want you to stay away because your mom and brother need to testify and we want to use you as a, to, to offset theirs. If, That's so hard. Then you feel like. And I'm like, oh God, no. <laughs> you're really put in like, the middle. Right. Because my relationship with my mother at this point was not good because I wasn't doing anything she was telling me to. Because I knew what my dad had gone through and I wasn't playing that. Right. So like I need anything else to stand in the way of my relationship with my family. That morning that, you know, the verdict came back and he was sentenced. My wife got a message on messenger from my mother. I had told her the night before, I said, "Hun, if you get any kind of message from that side of the family, I was like, don't read it. Let me filter everything because you don't need to be in the middle of anything. So she tells me this. And so I get on her account and it's a note from my mother that says, I never want to see Jeremy again. I'm changing my will as soon as possible. He lied on the stand. Good luck with your husband who lives in his own little world. I've loved you like my own. And it wasn't much more than that. I may have them in the wrong order, but that was it. So here you are now, essentially, you've lost both parents. Yep. And my brother. And your brother. Yeah. So Jeremy, how have you, over the last eight years, you know, because your mom pretty much disassociated with you now, Mm -hmm. your brother is in prison for 33 or possibly life. Right. How do you move forward with your life? How do you feel? How do you forgive what feels like the unforgivable? I can't imagine the amount of loss that you were feeling. I have forgiven my brother. I did that at the end of the trial when I stood up on behalf of my dad's family. Wow. And I forgave him because I knew that I couldn't carry the regret of not doing it. I couldn't carry that grudge. And so I had to forgive him at that point. That's massive evidence I had also, of God in your life. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'd also, uh, through a text somewhere in there, I had also told my mother, I said, I forgive you for what you've done. So, you know, I had to forgive them in order for me to be able to be who I'm called to be in Christ. Right. I'm so proud of you. You really obeyed God on that. That is not easy to do. 
It was a very tough thing to do. Yes. But what it did is it released me of any guilt or grudge that I had against either of them. That's so powerful. That shows your maturity in Christ. And it allows me to be who, again, not just who I'm called to be in Christ, but like I like to have fun. I like to joke. Most people who know me know this about me. And when something's wrong, people know that something's wrong. They do. And when we don't forgive, you know, it is like drinking poison, expecting it to kill the other person. It just kills us. Yeah. So where are you at today, eight years out, still missing your father every day, I'm sure, missing your family? Right. I have had slight contact with my mother toward the end of last year. Other family that I still talk to on that side went and visited, came back to let me know that she's not doing well. I'm sorry and I mean, it is, it is what it is right now. She's in God's hands because that's, that's where I have to put her. So you had to learn that it's okay to put a healthy boundary in your life with yes, family. I've had to. Especially with narcissists. Correct. Which is why Pastor Patrick Weaver, his ministry resonates with you so much. When I was editing that other podcast, I'm yeah. thinking, man, there's so much good stuff in here. The, the narcissism and... Just understanding what it actually is and what it does was big because I started doing you know my own research on right. it so that I would know how to handle things in a Christ-like manner. There isn't anything that I would go back and do differently. The way I handled everything from my dad's wishes to handling of my mother. I would not change a thing because I have to look at everything through the lens of one day I have to stand before God right? and I have to account for me. I'm not going to account for what my dad did. I'm not going to account for my brother. I'm not going to account for my mother or any of that side of the family that I feel like has done me wrong. I'm not going to account for them. I'm going to account for me. And God's going to look at me and go, what about this? What about that? And I'm going to have to be okay going, this is why I did what I did, and I hope you're okay with it. That's a powerful, like sobering reminder for all of us. Because at the end of our life, it is just us and the Lord. What Hmm. I love that you shared, too, is for our listeners to understand, healthy boundaries are okay and very necessary, even with family. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you unloving and kind. What it did for me is allowed me to be me better because I didn't have toxic around me anymore. Once the trial was over and then everybody just kind of went their own way, told my uncle that that came over that day that I needed some space. And his understanding of space was never checking in on me. And so I've seen him three times in the last almost eight years. Wow. It's good to know what you can and can't be and what's okay and not okay for your life as well. Yeah. But I I don't constantly have that side of the family hanging over my head right now. Yeah. And I've been able to live more these last seven and a half years or seven years since the trial anyway. I've been able to live fuller without that hanging on me. And it's a wonderful thing. I have to love them from a distance. Yes. And it's not, I do not hate any of them. I do love them, but I have to do it at a distance. That's wisdom. Yeah. That is incredible that you have the ability to love them from afar, the ability to forgive. 
-hmm. and keep overcoming and surrendering all that to Christ. It's not easy. It's so difficult. It is It is not easy. I mean, God and I have had our, you know, yell fights and, mm -hmm. you know, through the years. And, you know, I still talk to my dad when I'm doing stuff around the house. And, yeah. you know, hey, would you, what would you do here, dad? You know? Yeah. And uh, there are so many things that are positive that have come out of this whole negativity, too. Because, one, my dad's side of the family that I didn't get to spend a lot of time with, I have spent more time with them in the last eight years than I did the 40 before because I could. Right. You're yeah. looking at positives yeah. too through something so yes. tragic. The way you filtered the lens of how you view things yeah. Yeah. is incredible. You know, I've got relationships with, you know, relatives that I didn't think could get to this point because I wasn't allowed to see them because of narcissism. Narcissist, yeah. So, we just want to tell you thank you. Thank you for sharing your story with us and the listeners. Thank you for being willing to open yourself up to discuss this. It's yes. not easy. Even though you have forgiven and you have healed, mm -hmm. um, each time you used to tell your story, it's a little bit different, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, it is. And it even gets better, if I can just add this yes. real quick. Even though my story has been so tragic and so awful, there are positive things that are happening day to day. God had me put together a grief group for friends who have lost their parents too early. Oh, that's great. We have, I think, seven or eight people in this group, and it's just word of mouth. I've got a friend whose dad passed away 19, 20 years ago. I had just become a youth pastor in a church, and one of the youth, her dad dies of a heart attack. Oh my goodness. And I didn't know how to handle it. Did not know how to handle it. But after she found out that my dad died and I saw her, she ran to me. She gave me the biggest hug, told me she loved me. And I told her, I said, I get it now. I understand. And I'm sorry, I didn't do more. And she said, Jeremy, you did exactly what you needed to. I've got other friends that used to be youth that deal with things in regards to grief. Like when you're going through the line and people are like, I know what you're going through. Oh. And yet they have no clue because it's a different scenario. It is. And we say all the wrong things well-intended. Yes. But those things like are it, very painful when you're the person in the receiving line. She had friends that come through the line. I know what you're dealing with. And she's like, I know that they didn't. I know this person didn't because they have and both of their parents. Yeah. Yeah. We all have a different experience, even when we have grief yeah. and loss. But grief and loss is a monster. So praise yeah. God that you're ha holding that class to help other people. It's been not only good for me, but it's been good for them, which, which is the whole reason it started, was because I was watching a former co-worker. Her, her mother was dying of cancer. Mm. And I looked at her and I thought, she's going to need somebody. I mean, I'm here at work. I've dealt with this, but she needs some good Christian women around her that she can go to other than just this guy. Right. And so that's really where God gave me the idea to start this thing. And like I said, we try to meet every month and it has just been a blessing because we can sit and talk and not have to fear the words coming out of somebody else's mouth because we get it. Yeah. We yeah. understand. I've got another friend that just joined uh, a year ago 
that lost her dad and her mother's been grieving. And I've tried to help her as much as I can from the viewpoint that I have, but I don't understand her grief right. in the same way I do her daughters. She's a widow now. Yeah. 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 But God takes and makes beauty from ashes. So something that was awful, God can take that and use it for good in numerous ways, numerous ways. I've been able to do positive things beyond what I thought I was even able to through tragedy. That is so powerful. I think that would be beautiful. the big takeaway from today. Mm-hmm. If I were to ask you how mm-hmm. you want to encourage our listeners, is knowing that God can redeem all things. Yes. Just because something bad happens in your life, if you sit in it and you dwell in it, nothing positive is going to come of that. True. Yeah. I was two days after my dad dying, and I looked at my wife, I said, I need three things. I need out of this house, I need to be around people, and I need me some Jesus. Those are three great things because we can tend to isolate. So if you're listening today and you have gone through grief and loss, please find help. Don't isolate. Find a community of people that can support you or a grief and loss group or a ministry that can help you Put the pieces back together because God still has a plan for your life. Absolutely does. Jeremy, we just love you to pieces. Oh, and thanks. we're so honored that you shared your story with us and that you're on the Wildly Becoming podcast. And Yes, thank you so much. Yeah. It's so nice to be on, not just, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always joke with Jeremy. I'm like, are you, when I called him the other day, I'm like, are you sick of hearing my voice yet? Since you have to listen to it for hours editing the podcast. But Jeremy, you truly are such a great example of Christ and your ability to forgive and overcome adversity and such tragic loss. So just, we just can't thank you enough. Yes. Thank well, you. Thank well, you thank so you. Much. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate yeah. you guys too. Yeah. It's been amazing. Thank you listeners for tuning in to the wildly becoming podcast. Thank you, Jill, for being the most amazing co-host oh, ever. Thank you, girl. <laughs> she said, Thanks, Rachel. Thank you, Rachel, for everything you've done. (laughs) We appreciate you so much giving us your time to listen to everyone share their stories of overcoming. We love you all. As always, stay Stay wild. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. If you liked what you heard, feel free to reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Rachel Bain Ministries. Send me a message or leave a comment and I'd love to get back to you. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast by clicking the subscribe button. Remember, you are wildly becoming who God created you to be. The Rise FM Podcast Network.